Authors Over 50, Writing in Life's Sweetest Third. Authors Over 50's weekly podcast celebrates writers and their journeys to publication. Writing after 50 is a whole story on its own, so let's skip to Life's Sweetest Third and talk with authors about their journey from pen to publish. Welcome, I'm Julia Daly, your host, and I invite you to listen to interviews with writers who've achieved their goal of publishing a book just later in life. We've seen award lists for under 30 or under 40, but I've yet to see lists for those who've achieved a significant milestone of their own, launching a new career and publishing their first book after the age of 50. We will hear about these authors' inspirations, struggles, strategies, and the smell of that first book. These writers' journeys inspire me because I'm one of them. My guest today is an author who has a passion for helping others and fulfills her passion by encouraging those whose lives have been affected by an adoption decision whether by searching and unraveling DNA results or otherwise. She has a BS in criminal justice, psychology, and sociology. She co-founded Adoption Triad of the Ozarks, a support group. She is the author of I Choose This Day, Mornings and Miracles of Adoption, with contributions by the daughter she placed for adoption. They were reunited in 1995. Welcome to Authors Over 50, Sharon Cummings. Thank you, Julia. Uh, I'm excited to be here. Sharon, our opening question on Authors Over 50 is always, what took you so long to write a book? It's it's interesting because my husband at the time, we weren't married then when he first read my book my manuscript. And after he read, and he had been belonged to a writer's group in Oklahoma before I met him. And I thought, well, I've never had a male to read my book. And so I asked him if he wanted to critique it. And he said, sure. So he read it and he said, what took you so long? <laughs> Why is this book not already published? And so that's kind of funny that, that, that you, I just now thought of that answer, but I really had never dreamed of being an author or publishing a book at all. Although I have journaled most of my life when, when I'm not stressed, whether it's a good stress or otherwise, I would write down and then get it over with, write about it and get it over with, you know, so. So I, I guess you could say my story began in 1969, but I still did not think about writing a book then. Well, your book is about an intensely personal topic. Will you share with us a synopsis of your debut? Okay. Um, I was in 69, I was unmarried and um, pregnant, and I had to make the most important decision of my life. And my boyfriend's response at the time was he didn't care what I did. It's my problem. So I made made the decision. And um, due to what I thought was society's pressure on me, I, I made the decision to place my baby for adoption. My immediate family and one girlfriend and the birth father knew, and we never discussed it again for 25 years. And I was told to go on with my life like this didn't happen. And I thought I could do that, but I never forgot. And um, 
at, for 25 years, we never talked about it. I would go home and sleep and cry to myself, sleep many times at night, even after being with the family and seeing my nieces and nephews, whom I dearly loved. But I still would never let anybody else see that cry. And um, I just dealt with my grief alone until I was safe at home by myself. Once my daughter found me, 25 and a half years later, I wanted to shout to the world. I never wanted another birth mom to ever feel alone or feel that shame that I felt. And uh, that's the main reason I wrote the book, even though I um, started out writing it just for Lori. I wanted her to know what my life was like before she found me. And then it just took on from there after I, I would read email my friends and my family members. And I'd say, you won't believe what happened today. And I got a text from her or a phone call. And I would just write every little thing about happened. And they got to where they heard if the heading was, you won't believe this, <laughs> they'd, they'd read it, you know, and they said, I hope that you're saving all these messages that you're sending me because you really need to be writing a book. And I heard that so often that um, it, it became, I, I went ahead and wrote the book for Lori. And after I got, wrote it for her, my mom, uh, who is deceased now, but she was so excited. She read it. She was my first editor. <laughs> and um, she said, you cannot stop with Lori. You cannot just give this book to her. You've got to give it to the world and let other people read about your pain and this, read, read about this story. So that's how it took off. Well, this is so familiar to me because I am an adoptee and I searched and found my birth mother as well. And your search and my search had happy endings, but some do not. No, that's true. What do you advise when someone wants to conduct a search? Um, I always listen to see what their reasoning is, to see what, you know, talk to them and, and just try to get them to to talk about it, but it depends. I just ask them about the state law. What's the, the first question is always, what state do you live in? But, and then why are you, why are you wanting to do this? And, um, and then I just take it from there. And I usually help the ones in Missouri because my daughter was born in Kansas, which they, they never did close their adoption laws in Kansas. So, and I was living in Missouri, but I didn't realize that until just two years before she found me. And I was reading a book about, uh, actually, I saw a movie and um, in that movie, they told about the book and it was a book that tells you how to search. And so I ordered the book and found out that in Kansas, <laughs> I, I knew she could find me anytime she wanted because Kansas law was never closed. And um, so I just kind of relaxed. And then after she found, I found out that she was born in Kansas. But I didn't know that until two years before she found me when I started searching from that book. And my sister-in-law told me that, no, you were, you were, we were, they lived in Kansas, just right out in Kansas City, Kansas. And so she was born in Kansas City, Kansas, because I had gone to stay with them, my brother and his wife. So, but I didn't know their laws at the time. So I wanted Missouri at birth moms to be able to, or the adoptees to be able to get that information. So starting in 2000, I, I did um, made my first trip to Jefferson City and made a bunch of other people all across the state trying to get the laws changed. 
And it took 16 years, but we, we finally got the laws changed in 2016. So since we got the laws changed, that's what I do. I retired from my job and that's what I do. I help people search. And uh, because I work at the police department, I do have a lot of, I just have a passion for helping people search. And um, Well, tell us more about the adoption triad that you founded. Uh, we started that in 19 years ago. And um, it was uh, after my mom had died, uh, I got a call from an adoptee that lived here in Springfield because she had been to Kansas City to a search group, uh, I mean, the adoption triad group. And I had also been to that same group. And so I knew that the one that started that one. And um, she told her to, she told, that's Judy Mills. And she told, uh, Carolyn Fuller told her to uh, call me. So she did. And I said, well, my mother is really sick right now. I need to wait for a while and I've got to take care of her. I had retired from work to help take care of her too. And I said, I'll give you a call when things slow down. And um, so it was in uh, 2003 that uh, we started it and we meet once a month and it's for all anybody touched by adoption. And she was adopted. Judy was adopted. So we had both sides with our group and we still meet now still once a month and it's so rewarding to hear all all members of this you know that now that it's the constellation and I just think that's great because it's everybody that's been touched by it and it's just so rewarding to hear all sides and not just a you know one side of it well I think there are as many opinions about adoption as there are women (laughs) that's true uh, one of my favorite Um, parts of writing my book, which I turned into fiction um, instead of memoir, but is hearing from all of the women and families who have reached out to me. You know, I've had birth mothers, I've had other adoptees, I've had adoptive parents. Um, It's just been, you know, wonderful to, to try to, you know, support them. And, and I wondered what you would advise um, how we support women in whatever decision that they do make for their lives. They always say, you know, I understand all the different feelings that you, you can have. And I, I try not to be judgmental on any decision that they make. And I, I've even had adoptees that come to our meeting and they, they are so, I remember one in particular, he was so angry with his birth mom because he had couldn't find her and he, he came to our meeting to help and then um he also got his original birth certificate after Missouri changed their laws but when he first came he, he knew I was a birth mom and he was just angry and he says I don't want to meet her I just want to know my medical history and he says I'm sorry if I offend you Sharon you know I said, no offense taken. I said, I perfectly understand. So you can say anything you want to, and it's not going to offend me. And so he relaxed and it was just amazing. He he still was very much did not want to meet her. But after he found out who she was and she had died, he didn't get to meet her, but he cried every time he told the story after that. And he simply loved her and he met his half brother and he says that when they talked the first time, it was several hours later. It was like they had never been apart. And for him to be changed, to see the change in him, even when he was so angry at first, he never was angry again. 
And so I just tell people, you know, you can tell me anything. It's, it's not going to offend me. Well, and it, and it takes all of us to make all of this work. And that's why I dedicated my book to my two mothers. One gave me life and one gave me a life. And I think a lot of adoptees don't search because they feel guilty that they might hurt their adoptive families. And um, some of us are lucky enough to have supportive adoptive families, even when you have closed records. My parents thought that they could open those records for me when I became an adult, but they could not. I think there are only 10 states now that have open records. Probably. I know that states are opening all the time. I mean, every year it's just, it's just amazing. And so much, it's, it's so helpful because I just think that they need that. I think it doesn't mean that they have to choose. And I've even told adoptees when they are allowed to get their birth certificate, I said, go ahead. If you don't want to search, that's fine. But get that information as soon as you can get it and put it in a safe deposit box so that you'll always be there when you do, if you do, and you may never want it. But what if you get married and have children and the children need it for medical reasons? And um, then you'll have it. You won't have to wait to search and then you'll know who it is. But you don't have to meet them and you don't have to have a relationship, but just get that information. Well, that's one of the one one of the major issues in my life that was so frustrating was the lack of any medical information. And I hope now that they are doing a better job of leaving medical family uh, information with children who are being adopted, because every time I would go into a doctor's office, you know, they would ask me, is there cancer or heart disease or diabetes in your family? And I would have to say, I don't know, because I'm adopted and we'd have to start from scratch. My daughter found me that very first weekend that we, we talked and everything. She says, I can't wait to get back and go to my doctor and have, tell him my full history. And it was just so exciting. You know, nobody wants to, can't wait to go see the doctor, but she was so thrilled to be able to have some information. Sure. Cause when, at, when she was born, you don't know your medical history at that time to put it down on the records. It can change so quick over the years. And sometimes agents, yeah. Especially if you're really young, you know. Yeah, if you're really young, you don't know, nobody has, I mean, you usually don't know your medical history at that time. And sometimes agencies are reluctant to put it in there. They might say that they will, but then you find out later that they didn't share it. And so that's not even a good thing to rely on. Well, Sharon, once you knew you had to write this book, how did you proceed? I started, um, well, of course, I had, like I mentioned, I had family members and good friends. And then I, I, some people that were editors, I had them to read it. And then I spent several years of vacations from work, going to conferences, writers conferences, publishers conferences, speakers conferences, everything I could get my hands on that Chicago, North Carolina, St. Louis, Kansas City, Branson, anytime I saw any kind of a, a conference, I would go to it. And my manuscript proposals were received awesome reviews, every one of them that I talked to, but rejected at the same time because I was in an unknown. And they said that publishers are not willing to spend money on an unknown. And 
So it went from there. I finally just got tired of going to all these conferences and getting the same rejection. And I finally thought, okay, it's going to have to be now or I'm just not going to get it published. So I went ahead and paid to have it published. But I also worked with a publisher that did all the editing and sent things back and made changes in it. It wasn't like I just did all the publish on my own. But uh, it was a a long process. And as, as everybody that ever published knows. And, um, but it was, it was so exciting throughout the whole, the whole thing, but yet it was still not easy. Well, what publicity or marketing have you found that has worked for you or didn't work for you? Well, uh, the publisher gave me many places to go to like you know the bookstores and everything and they set the interviews up for me and I would go to them and go to a lot of book signings and the book signings didn't it's hard on a book like mine and you mentioned your that um, I wrote it the way I did because I was told that it would never go over as a, a memoir that I needed to make a fiction so I thought okay I'll try and I went through my whole book and changed everybody to a different name and wrote it as fiction. And then I thought, I have spent 25 years keeping my secret to myself. And that's what I'm doing now by not releasing any names. I feel like I'm still lying to everybody. And I just couldn't do that. So I went back and changed everything to where it was my story. So I realized that even if it didn't sell as much, my story would still be out there. Well, I think memoirs are selling much better than they ever have before. And, and there's so many personal, wonderful stories that help others who are on the same journey. And I made mine fiction. I stepped back and gave some distance between uh, me and the families who still didn't know those secrets and, and tried to protect, you know, some of them. And then I got into thrillers and added some thrilling elements in there too, you know, so um, mine turned out differently, but I I think reading your personal story and your memoir um, is so much more important to those who are on that adoption journey. Mm -hmm. And my, my inspiration like came from my daughter, of course, like I said, just to tell her how, what it's like, but family members and everybody else too, and kept encouraging me. They just said, you've got to get it published and you just got to. So I knew I didn't have a choice after that. I got so far in the, in the journey, but yeah, it, it was not, it just was not easy at all. But, um, and one thing is I felt like when I was going through the publishing, uh, the publishing part was actually the easy part. And the pushing myself is because I've always been reserved, quiet, and you, I felt like I was bragging on myself and I didn't want to sound that way, but I, I one of my compl- um, critiques on my book was that I felt like they felt that I was just bragging my, on my book. And I thought, oh my, they said, I don't believe she's doing that, but that's what the book comes across. And you never forget the bad things about you, but you, you know, you can read all the good things about your books, but you never forget the bad things. And that was one of them is that they thought that. And I thought that was not what I wanted because, but to me, to push myself, I felt like I was bragging when I tell about my book and that it's a good book. 
or why I wrote it and everything. But I had to get over that point and just push myself because if you don't push yourself, nobody else is going to push it for you. Sure, the publisher is going to show you places to go, but it's up to you to sell yourself. And that was what was most difficult for me was to get out there and sell myself. Well, when you did search and you found this daughter or she found you, um, did you discover that you had a maternal bond to her or did you feel like she was more of a friend um, relationship? It's more of a friend because her mother is still living and, um, and she's a wonderful woman. Uh, I've, I've been, we even spent the night with her, just the two of us at her house, her, her, her mom, adoptive mom. And she is her mom. I mean, Lori and her are so close. And when I see them together, I mean, I know that they're so close. And that was what I always wanted was to her have a good life. And she had the perfect life. And so that's, that was fine with me, you know, so, but I know that they're not all that away. And sure. So for me, I don't feel, and I've never had any more children. So I've never had raised anybody myself. And uh, I do have um, wonderful steps at children now. To, uh, Roger has two sons and, um, and I have three grandchildren, two with my daughter, and then he has one grandson. So I, but as far as being a maternal, I've never had that. I mean, I've, I'm very close to my nieces and nephews. And because I was there with them all the time and they stayed at my, my apartment many times with overnight, you know, but as far as maternal uh, with my daughter, it's just never because she has a mother. And in fact, she said that that was one of the hardest things for her when she drove to my house the first time to meet me. She was afraid that I would be that type that would want to take over and say, you know, like, okay, you've had, she's had her chance at, and now it's my turn. And she knew that the minute she met me, that that was not going to be a problem because I had so much respect for her mom. And so um, we are close and uh, it's kind of hard to describe, but when she, uh, we met before she got married and um, it was the next year she got married after a year after we met. So I got to go to her wedding and I got to be there when the, the kids were born. I'd get a phone call and we're three hours away. So by the time I'd get to the hospital, you know, that um, all three grandmothers were there. It, it's just one of those things that we've always, all the kids all through school, that all three grandmothers are going to, to everything together. And in fact, this past Sunday on Mother's Day, she and her husband have a barbecue every year for all three of their mothers. And so we all get together and that's become my favorite holiday. Even though I dreaded it for 25 years, I just hated Mother's Day because, because of the pain. Well, you have a beautiful story and uh, I fear for those people who are searching, thinking they're going to find um, a family that, that they long for that may not be the case because so much time has passed that it does change those relationships. And I found with my birth mother that we were friends and it was wonderful to see someone who looked like me and to receive all the information that I wanted from her. But so much time had, had passed. And of course, like you said, I had a mother who, who reared me. 
And, um, but you can still have special relationships and still be involved in each other's lives. And there's enough love to go around for, for everyone. So I, I love to hear happy endings to, to the searches. Um, that's one thing I re- my daughter came oh, at the time I was volunteering. Well, actually I worked at, after I retired the first time I worked at the pregnancy care center as their adoption specialist, even though we did not, ref- uh, we were made referrals if a person insisted on adoption, but we never did adoptions. And uh, my daughter came for one of the volunteer meetings and spoke and shared her story. And she told everybody that, um, it, it, you don't have to choose that when, when you meet, when she met me, she didn't have to choose between my mom, her mom and me. And uh, that was so special to hear that was that she says, my heart is big enough for both of them. And one doesn't take from the other, that that doesn't mean that you have to have one or the other and you can't have both. And I, that just means I use that story a lot of times when people are concerned about that. Well, why don't you read um, from your book for us so we can hear your tone and voice? Okay. I, I found two places I would like to read. And uh, there's, my, there's my book. I think maybe you can see it. Mm-hmm. Um, in the very first chapter, it's uh, of Never Lose Hope. And it's on Thursday, February the 2nd, 1995. I received a phone call that changed my life forever. I had hoped for such a phone call for many years. Is this Sharon Fiker? Well, yes. And I, well, I said it like, yes. <laughs> I knew it was a solicitor because nobody, it was speaker. And if you mispronounce it. And so I thought the caller was a solicitor because she didn't pronounce my name as speaker. She didn't waste any time in getting to the point. My name is Marsha. I'm a social worker in Kansas City. In August of 1969, you gave up a baby girl for, and gave her up for, you gave birth to a baby girl and gave her up for adoption. She wants to see you now. Nearly dropping the phone and I burst out crying. I know this has come as a shock to you, she said. Maybe I should call back when you've had time to adjust. And I said, oh no, I'll be fine. <laughs> I was afraid that she, when uh, she would hang up and I'd never hear from her again. So that was that part. And I just think that that, that just gets you off that all my feelings at the time. But the other thing I really do like is on page 42, um, Brian Cummins had not yet met me at the time. He's my, my husband's son. And at the time he wrote this poem, Even if he had known me, he could not have written a better description of my self-perception all of those years inside that protective shell. He called his the man behind behind the smile. I find at times I must wear the smile so no one will ask me why. Eyes filled with joy, but all the while, tears of pain run down deep inside. Look past the shield of laughter to find the vulnerable spot behind. You must turn back the book's cover to learn the knowledge that is inside. A a veil of blue to hide the gray. You You must look hard to see. A disguise of happiness to hide the pain. A mirage in the desert sea. Believe the lie of joyful bliss. 
remain in your denial, but you must look deeper if you wish to see the man behind the smile. 1998 brain coming. And I thought that's exactly the way I was for 25 years. I just hid behind that smile. And I've always been told I had a nice smile and I hid behind it so much. Nobody ever knew how I was really feeling because I would always have a smile for everybody, even though I was hurting inside. And there were so many wearing those masks and keeping those secrets, you know, during the baby scoop eras oh, from yes. about the thirties through maybe the eighties, you know, there's still maternity homes here in the U S 400, I believe that operate, but these days they're doing more to try to help the women keep their babies yes. on jobs or childcare and things like that. But but when I was born, society did not have single parents. And um, no. if you got pregnant and you weren't married, it was an expectation that you would give that baby up for adoption. It, it was. And even though I worked at the pregnancy care center here in Springfield, and, and you're right that now it is not, they will still refer for adoption um, if a person insists on it but they do everything they can to help that mother and father uh, to raise their, their own baby. And they have classes and you earn uh, money all the way through to pay for they, It also has their own clothes and, and they teach the mother and young kids in high school, they teach them how to be a parent. And they, we have uh, male volunteers that teach the men to classes to go to. And it's just so much more if, if I, you know, and that's what's needed. And so I am just so glad that they, and I uh, donate every month to them to help them out because that is so needed, that support and, and not just to stick them out on their own and never tell anybody, you know, it's, it's just uh, so much better to be helpful through it. Well, it's very encouraging to know that there are programs like that. Um, there are still women who do need to relinquish their babies for adoption and, mm -hmm. and, and women who are unable to have babies and infertility issues can certainly be strangling to, to women as well. Um, I wonder if you make time to read uh, and what genres you read, and if you would recommend anything that you're reading to our to our listeners. Well, I have so many different kinds, but um, simply because of my uh, career in at the police department um, as a non-sworn, I was a supervisor over records in the property room, and I retired after 28 years. I cannot get away from law enforcement. I love criminal criminal books, and um, um, let's see who uh, Michael Connolly. And David Baldassi, I, I have probably read more of their books than anybody. But I also love <laughs> anything adoption. And um, because when, when I first needed the books, there was just a very few. And that was one reason I published this because I had in 25 years, I only knew one person that was a birth mom. And she was a very good friend of mine. But because I couldn't share my story, I couldn't even tell her that I was a birth mom. And I knew she was, too. And um, I just wanted that to change. 
because I wanted books that, like I said, there was just very few books. Now there's one, seems like there's one released every day about adoption. Not quite that often, but it just, it, it seems that way. Well, especially now that we have these commercial DNA kits, we're, oh, yeah. we're having people come out of the woodwork, you know, to share their stories about families they thought were their families that are not. So those people not. who were keeping secrets and not telling their children that they were adopted and they're finding out as adults, that can be very devastating. Can be, yes, it, it can be. And uh, I, I deal with it all the time in helping to search and, um, um, it's funny, I hear all reasons on how adoptees feel after they get their information and everything. And um, I just recently ha- helped one to find her, her birth parents. And um, she still doesn't have her original birth certificate. But it's been the judge has ordered it. So eventually she'll get it. But I, I shared that I thought she needed to go ahead. And I told her who they were because of her DNA. And I said that um, she is deceased and also her brother just died this past December. So I said, she's got one sister left and that might be the only person that knows about you. So I would suggest that you go ahead and contact her and not wait for your OBC. And she did. And it, it's been amazing. And it, she said she had the best Mother's Day ever this past weekend <laughs> because of meeting this and she says, a hole, my, a hole in my heart has been repaired. And I thought, I've never heard that wording, but that is, that's perfect. I've heard a lot of descriptions on, you know, the hole being filled or, you know, all kinds, but being repaired is just, I just thought it was super. Well, there's some very poignant stories out there. And I, I love to hear everyone. I, I never tire of hearing um, about these about these stories. It's, it's like listening to fairy tales as a child at night, you know, and I just love to, to soak up all those stories. Sharon, our writers over 50 are a unique set. Do you have any <laughs> advice for writers who are 50 and above? The first thing is just, just to do it. <laughs> Don't think about it. Just do it. If you have a story that you want others to hear, just do it. Don't think about how hard it is, because if you think about how hard it is, you may talk yourself out of doing it, because I don't think anybody will tell you it's easy to get a book published, to go through all the, you know, all the stress of getting it published, writing it. To me, writing it was the easy part, and I, for all those years, I've thought, well, I can't write a book, you know, and then, and I think it's so hard, and then I thought, no, that was the easy part, just writing it. But the publishing and the pushing of the uh, PR for, for the book, I think that's probably the hardest part. But um, just, just go ahead and do it. And then the one key I think that I would give everybody is to always carry a book in your car. Wherever you go, that you've got access to a book, maybe a whole suitcase of them, but um, always have a book available because you never know when one person that you meet, whether it's in a store, it, somewhere you will meet somebody that that needs to read that book and they'll have a story about the pain or something in my case uh this this past Christmas I was shopping in a store and even that it's been this many years since I got the book published um 
And I, I just happened to be the first person in the store. And I just asked the clerk, did you have a, a nice Christmas? Just small talk. She said, yes, I had the best Christmas ever. And she said, I had lunch with my daughter and, um, and it was just the best one ever. And I said, and it just hit me. I thought, I don't usually tell everybody that I meet anymore. I did that for a long time, but now I just kind of wait. And, and then I thought, I'll just go ahead and tell her. I said, well, I, I had lunch with my daughter or this past weekend and, um, or last the week before. And I said, this was the daughter I placed for adoption and her mouth just dropped open. She said, well, this was my daughter that I placed for adoption 16 years ago. And, and went on from there. So I told her about my book and she says, I want to read it. Where can I get it? And I went back to the hotel and I told Roger about it. And he says, well, you've got a copy in your car. So I went down and got the copy of my book and took it back into the store and gave it to her. And she was just amazed. She, she was in tears by that time. <laughs> but so you never know when you're going to meet that person that needs to read that book. So that's, that's the best advice I can, I can give them. I think something good comes out of something bad. And, and those of us who have experienced things in our lives that we need to share to others and help them along the way. So I love the title of your book. I choose this day and I want all of us writers over the age of 50 to choose this day. Let's seize this day and get our words down on paper. Thank you so much, Sharon, for being with us today and sharing such a wonderful story. Okay. Thank you for the opportunity. Thank you for joining us today. Please look for Authors Over 50 every Thursday when we will have conversations with accomplished debut novelists over the age of 50. Please subscribe and share with a friend. And check out my own publication journey after 50 at www.juliadaily, that's D-A-I-L-Y, like dailynewspaper.com. Until next time, keep reading and writing. And remember, it's never too late to fulfill a dream in life's sweetest third.